0: Section 7 of When God Laughs by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Section 7 Make Westing. Whatever you do, make Westing. Make Westing. Sailing directions for Cape Horn. For seven weeks the Mary Rogers had been between fifty degrees south in the Atlantic and fifty degrees south in the Pacific which meant that for seven weeks she had been struggling to round Cape Horn. For seven weeks she had been either in dirt, or close to dirt, save once, and then following upon six days of excessive dirt, which she had ridden out under the shelter of the redoubtable Tierra del Fuego coast, she had almost gone ashore during a heavy swell in the dead calm that had suddenly fallen. For seven weeks she had wrestled with the Cape Horn Greybeards, and in return been buffeted and smashed by them. She was a wooden ship, and her ceaseless straining had opened her seams, so that twice a day the watch took its turn at the pumps. The Mary Rogers was strained, the crew was strained, and Big Dan Cullen, master, was likewise strained. Perhaps he was strained most of all, for upon him rested the responsibility of that titanic struggle. He slept most of the time in his clothes, although he rarely slept. He haunted the deck at night, a great, burly, robust ghost, black with the sunburn of thirty years of sea, and hairy as an orang-outang. He in turn was haunted by one thought of action, a sailing direction for the horn, whatever you do make westing, make westing it was an obsession. He thought of nothing else, except at times to blaspheme God for sending such bitter weather. Make Westing, he hugged the horn, and a dozen times lay hove-to with the iron cape bearing east by north or north-northeast, a score of miles away, and each time the eternal west wind smote him back and he made Easting. He fought gale after gale, south to sixty-four degrees, inside the Antarctic drift-ice, and pledged his immortal soul to the powers of darkness for a bit of westing, for a slant to take him around, and he made easting. In despair he had tried to make the passage through the Straits of Le Maire. Halfway through the wind hauled to the northard of northeast, the glass dropped to twenty-eight point eight eight and he turned and ran before a gale of cyclonic fury, missing by a hair's breadth, piling up the Mary Rogers on the black-toothed rocks. Twice he had made west to the Diego Ramirez rocks, one of the times saved between two snow-squalls, by sighting the gravestones of ships a quarter of a mile dead ahead. Blow! Captain Dan Cullen instanced all his thirty years at sea to prove that never had it blown so before the mary rogers was hove to at the time he gave the evidence and to clinch it inside half an hour the mary rogers was hove down to the hatches her new main-topsail and brand-new spencer were blown away like tissue paper and five sails furled and fast under double gaskets were blown loose and stripped from the yards And before morning the Mary Rogers was hove down twice again, and holes were knocked in her bulwarks to ease her decks from the weight of ocean that pressed her down. On an average of once a week, Captain Dan Cullen caught glimpses of the sun. Once, for ten minutes, the sun shone at midday, and ten minutes afterward, a new gale was piping up. Both watches were shortening sail, and all was buried in the obscurity of a driving snow-squall. For a fortnight, once, Captain Dan Cullen was without a meridian or a chronometer sight. Rarely did he know his position within half of a degree, except when in sight of land, for sun and stars remained hidden behind the sky, and it was so gloomy that even at the best the horizons were poor for accurate observations. A gray gloom shrouded the world. The clouds were gray, the great driving seas were leaden gray, the smoking crests were a gray churning, Even the occasional albatrosses were gray, while the snow-flurries were not white, but gray, under the somber pall of the heavens. Life on board the Mary Rogers was gray, gray and gloomy. The faces of the sailors were blue-gray. They were afflicted with sea cuts and sea boils, and suffered exquisitely. They were shadows of men. For seven weeks, in the forecastle, or on deck, they had not known what it was to be dry. They had forgotten what it was to sleep out a watch, and all watches it was, all hands on deck. They caught snatches of agonized sleep, and they slept in their oilskins, ready for the everlasting call. So weak and worn were they that it took both watches to do the work of one. That was why both watches were on deck so much of the time, and no shadow of a man could shirk duty. Nothing less than a broken leg could enable a man to knock off work and there were two such who had been mauled and pulped by the seas that broke aboard. One other man who was the shadow of a man was George Doherty. He was the only passenger on board, a friend of the firm, and he had elected to make the voyage for his health. But seven weeks of Cape Horn had not bettered his health. He gasped and panted in his bunk through the long heaving nights, and when on deck he was so bundled up for warmth that he resembled a peripatetic old clothes-shop. At midday, eating at the cabin table in a gloom so deep that the swinging sea-lamps burned always, he looked as blue-gray as the sickest, saddest man for'ard. Nor did gazing across the table at Captain Dan Cullen have any cheering effect upon him. Captain Cullen chewed and scowled and kept silent.' The scowls were for God, and with every chew he reiterated the sole thought of his existence, which was Make Westing. He was a big hairy brute, and the sight of him was not stimulating to the other's appetite. He looked upon George Doherty as a Jonah, and told him so, once each meal, savagely transferring the scowl from God to the passenger and back again. Nor did the mate prove a first aid to a languid appetite. Joshua Higgins by name, a seaman by profession and pull, but a pot-walloper by capacity. He was a loose-jointed, sniffling creature, heartless and selfish and cowardly, without a soul, in fear of his life of Dan Cullen, and a bully over the sailors, who knew that behind the mate was Captain Cullen, the law-giver and compeller, the driver and the destroyer. The incarnation of a dozen buckle mates In that wild weather at the southern end of the earth Joshua Higgins ceased washing. His grimy face usually robbed George Doherty of what little appetite he managed to accumulate. Ordinarily, this lavatorial dereliction would have caught Captain Cullen's eye and vocabulary, but in the present his mind was filled with making Westing. To the exclusion of all other things, not contributory thereto. Whether the mate's face was clean or dirty had no bearing upon Westing. Later on, when fifty degrees south in the Pacific had been reached, Joshua Higgins would wash his face very abruptly. In the meantime, at the cabin table where gray twilight alternated with lamplight while the lamps were being filled, George Doherty sat between the two men, one a tiger and the other a hyena, and wondered why God had made them. The second mate, Matthew Turner, was a true sailor and a man, but George Doherty did not have the solace of his company, for he ate by himself, solitary, when they had finished. On Saturday morning, July 24, George Doherty awoke to a feeling of life and headlong movement. On deck he found the Mary Rogers running off before a howling southeaster. Nothing was set but the lower topsails and the foresail. It was all she could stand, yet she was making fourteen knots, as Mr. Turner shouted in Doherty's ear when he came on deck, and it was all Westing. She was going round the horn at last, if the wind held. Mr. Turner looked happy. The end of the struggle was in sight, but Captain Cullen did not want God to know that he was pleased with that wind. He had a conception of a malicious God, and believed in his secret soul that if God knew it was a desirable wind, god would promptly efface it and send a snorter from the west so he walked softly before god smothering his joy down under scowls and muttered curses and so fooling god for god was the only thing in the universe of which dan cullen was afraid all saturday and saturday night the mary rogers raced her westing persistently she logged her fourteen knots so that by sunday morning she had covered three hundred and fifty miles if the wind held, she would make around. round. If it failed, and the snorter came from anywhere between southwest and north, back the Mary Rogers would be hurled, and be no better off than she had been seven weeks before. And on Sunday morning the wind was failing. The big sea was going down and running smooth. Both watches were on deck, setting sail after sail as fast as the ship could stand it. And now Captain Cullen went around brazenly before God, smoking a big cigar, smiling jubilantly as if the failing wind delighted him, while down underneath he was raging against God for taking the life out of the blessed wind. Make Westing! So he would, if God would only leave him alone. Secretly he pledged himself anew to the powers of darkness, if they would let him make Westing. He pledged himself so easily because he did not believe in the powers of darkness he really believed only in god though he did not know it and in his inverted theology god was really the prince of darkness captain cullen was a devil worshipper but he called the devil by another name that was all at midday after calling eight bells captain cullen ordered the royals on the men went aloft faster than they had gone in weeks not alone were they nimble because of the westing but a benignant sun was shining down and limbering their stiff bodies George Doherty stood aft near Captain Cullen, less bundled in clothes than usual, soaking in the grateful warmth as he watched the scene. Swiftly and abruptly the incident occurred. There was a cry from the fore royal yard of, MAN OVERBOARD! Somebody threw a life-boy over the side, and at the same instant the second mate's voice came aft, ringing and peremptory, HARD DOWN YOUR HELM! The man at the wheel never moved a spoke. He knew better for Captain Dan Cullen was standing alongside of him. He wanted to move a spoke, to move all the spokes, to grind the wheel down, hard down, for his comrade drowning in the sea. He glanced at Captain Dan Cullen, and Captain Dan Cullen gave no sign. "'Down! hard down!' the second mate roared as he sprang aft, but he ceased springing and commanding, and stood still when he saw Dan Cullen by the wheel and Big Dan Cullen puffed at his cigar and said nothing. Astern, and going astern fast, could be seen the sailor. He had caught the life-boy and was clinging to it. Nobody spoke. Nobody moved. The men aloft clung to the royal yards and watched with terror-stricken faces, and the Mary Rogers raced on, making her westing. A long, silent minute passed. "'Who was it?' Captain Cullen demanded. "'Mops, sir,' eagerly answered the sailor at the wheel. Mops topped a wave astern and disappeared temporarily in the trough. It was a large wave, but it was no greybeard. A small boat could live easily in such a sea, and in such a sea the Mary Rogers could easily come to, but she could not come to and make Westing at the same time. For the first time in all his years, George Doherty was seeing a real drama of life and death a sordid little drama in which the scales balanced an unknown sailor named mops against a few miles of longitude at first he had watched the man astern but now he watched big dan cullen hairy and black vested with power of life and death smoking a cigar captain dan cullen smoked another long silent minute then he removed the cigar from his mouth he glanced aloft at the spars of the mary rogers and overside at the sea "'Sheet home the royals!' he cried. Fifteen minutes later they sat at table, in the cabin, with food served before them. On one side of George Doherty sat Dan Cullen, the tiger. On the other side Joshua Higgins, the hyena. Nobody spoke. On deck the men were sheeting home the sky sails george doherty could hear their cries while a persistent vision haunted him of a man called mops alive and well clinging to a life-boy miles astern in that lonely ocean he glanced at captain cullen and experienced a feeling of nausea for the man was eating his food with relish almost bolting it captain cullen doherty said you are in command of the ship and it is not proper for me to comment now upon what you do but i wish to say one thing "'There is a hereafter, and yours will be a hot one!' Captain Cullen did not even scowl. In his voice was regret as he said, "'It was blowing a living gale. It was impossible to save the man!' "'He fell from the royal yard,' Doherty cried hotly. "'You were setting the royals at the time. Fifteen minutes afterward you were setting the skysails.' "'That was a living gale, wasn't it, Mr. Higgins?' Captain Cullen said, turning to the mate. "'If you'd brought her to, it'd have taken the sticks out of her,' was the mate's answer. "'You did the proper thing, Captain Cullen. The man hadn't a ghost of a show.' George Doherty made no answer, and to the meal's end no one spoke. After that, Doherty had his meals served in his state room. Captain Cullen scowled at him no longer, though no speech was exchanged between them while the Mary Rogers sped north toward warmer latitudes. At the end of the week Dan Cullen cornered Doherty on deck. What are you going to do when we get to Fresco? he demanded bluntly. I am going to swear out a warrant for your arrest, Doherty answered quietly. I am going to charge you with murder, and I am going to see you hanged for it. "'You're almighty sure of yourself!' Captain Cullen sneered, turning on his heel. A second week passed, and one morning found George Doherty standing in the coach-house companionway at the forward end of the long poop, taking his first gaze round the deck. The Mary Rogers was reaching full and by in a stiff breeze. Every sail was set and drawing, including the staysails. Captain Cullen strolled forward along the poop. He strolled carelessly, glancing at the passenger out of the corner of his eye. Doherty was looking the other way, standing with head and shoulders outside the companionway, and only the back of his head was to be seen. Captain Cullen, with swift eye, embraced the mainstay so block and the head, and estimated the distance. He glanced about him. Nobody was looking. Aft, Joshua Higgins, pacing up and down, had just turned his back and was going the other way. "'Captain Cullen bent over suddenly and cast the staysail sheet off from its pin. "'The heavy block hurtled through the air, "'smashing Doherty's head like an eggshell "'and hurtling on back and forth as the staysail whipped and slatted in the wind. "'Joshua Higgins turned around to see what had carried away "'and met the full blast of the vilest portion of Captain Cullen's profanity.' i made the sheet fast myself whimpered the mate in first lull with an extra turn to make sure i remember it distinctly made fast the captain snarled back for the benefit of the watch as it struggled to capture the flying sail before it tore to ribbons you couldn't make your grandmother fast you useless hell scullion if you made that sheet fast with an extra turn why in hell didn't it stay fast that's what i want to know why in hell didn't it stay fast The mate whined inarticulately. "'Oh, shut up!' was the final word of Captain Cullen. Half an hour later he was surprised as any when the body of George Doherty was found inside the companionway on the floor. In the afternoon, alone in his room, he doctored up the log. "'Ordinary seaman Carl Brunn,' he wrote, "'lost overboard from four royal yard in a gale of wind, "'was running at the time, and for the safety of the ship did not dare come up to the wind.' nor could a boat have lived in the sea that was running on another page he wrote i had often warned mr doherty about the danger he ran because of his carelessness on deck i told him once that some day he would get his head knocked off by a block a carelessly fastened mainstaysal sheet was the cause of the accident which was deeply to be regretted because mr doherty was a favorite with all of us Captain Dan Cullen read over his literary effort with admiration, blotted the page, and closed the log. He lighted a cigar and stared before him. He felt the Mary Rogers lift and heel and surge along and knew that she was making nine knots. A smile of satisfaction slowly dawned on his black and hairy face. Well, anyway, he had made his Westing and fooled God. End of Section 7, read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.